year and a half after murdering a young woman in Bend, the killer admits to the murder. Well, Kaylee Sawyer's family and friends have packed a courtroom here today as they face her killer. There's been both tears and intense anger as they tell the judge how Kaylee's murder has impacted their lives. This case is about a young woman who really was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. The point of college campus security is to protect to make sure you feel secure in your college accommodation or whilst out on campus. But Kaylee was tricked into believing this and unfortunately, she would pay the ultimate price. This is Red Rum, stories about the true victims of crime. This show is made from various source documents listed in the show notes. I use news archives, documentary footage and court documents and so the episodes are accurate to the source material I can find. You can find all episodes that are on YouTube as a podcast version in the description box down below. Kaylee Sawyer was born on the 2nd of March 1993 and she came from a big family. She was the big sister to four brothers and although her mum and dad had divorced when she was younger and then remarried, she got on well with them now and their partners. Family was incredibly important to her. Kaylee, who was known to her friends and family as KK, was a cheerleader at high school and by all accounts incredibly popular, social and kind. By 2016, Kaylee was aged 23 and she worked at Aubrey Dental as a dental assistant with the eventual goal of becoming a dentist herself. Alongside her work at the dentist surgery, she was also attending Central Orange Community College in Bend, Oregon. Kaylee was dating Cameron Riemhofer, who she started dating back in 2014. They were a solid couple and Cameron fit right into Kaylee's big family. The pair of them were living together in an apartment right near to the college she attended. On the 23rd of July 2016, Kaylee had been invited to attend her friend Lisa's bachelorette party or hem party for us Brits. She told her pals that she wasn't going to be able to come because she's out of town. But on that Saturday, her plans changed last minute and so she drove herself over to her friend's house to join them before they headed out to some local bars and clubs. By around 10pm that night, things were starting to quieten down and a number of the party goers left or they went home, they got an Uber, they got rides. Kaylee, however joined a few of the remaining friends and headed out to another bar. They eventually settled down on a bar that was just downtown and Kaylee started dancing with a man who she didn't actually know she just met at the same bar. But in that same room, there just happened to be one of her boyfriend's friends who saw this all happening and that friend texted Cameron and told him what they'd seen. Now, a little while after this, Kaylee and her friends headed out of the bar and they all planned to make their way home. Kaylee had had quite a lot to drink by this point and so she wasn't going to be able to drive home. Instead, she texted her boyfriend Cameron and asked if he could come and pick her up from the bar. He agreed and they arranged a place to meet and it wasn't long before he turned up. Now, during this time that she's waiting... She has actually messaged Cameron's friend, that one who had been at the bar and seen during this time that she's waiting for Cameron. Kaylee had messaged Cameron's friend, the one who had been at the same bar as the girls, and she'd apologised for how the dancing must have looked, but said it really wasn't a big deal. It's likely she suspected that this friend would tell Cameron at some point, although there was no way that she could have known that he'd texted Cameron right then to tell him. 
Either way, Cameron arrived in his car and picked Kaylee up and the couple began arguing pretty much straight away and that argument continued all the way home to their apartment where they arrived at around 1am but the arguing continued to the point that Cameron actually stormed out of the car and into the house leaving Kaylee there sat inside the car. She needed some time to herself and the reports are that a good, good few moments, up to 10 minutes, passed by before Cameron decided to come back out to the car to see where Kaylee was at and if she was ready to come inside. But as Cameron approached the car, he realised that the passenger side door was open and there was no sign of Kaylee. And Kaylee wasn't inside the car, she wasn't anywhere in the near vicinity that he could see. But this wasn't necessarily alarming to Cameron at this point. Kaylee had done this kind of thing before. She didn't like confrontation and she would often respond to these kinds of things by simply removing herself from the situation. So Cameron took out his phone and he called Kaylee, but he got no answer. And so he then messaged her and asked where she was at. And he messaged a few more times asking Kaylee to please just come home and that he would start searching for her, but he needed some help. And then Kaylee replied to him saying that her phone was about to die. There are a few more texts back and forth. And eventually Cameron texted saying that he had just driven up and down College Way, but he couldn't see her and he didn't know where else to go. And then Kaylee replied, quote, are you kidding? Because that's bullshit goodbye, phone off. And it was later confirmed that Kaylee's phone then was turned off or died. Cameron continued driving around searching for Kaylee and when he had no luck, he went to a friend's house nearby, but that friend said that they hadn't seen Kaylee. So he went back to his house, fell asleep and when he woke up and Kaylee wasn't there, he really began to panic. And so he went to the place that Kaylee had parked her car the previous evening by now it was the next morning and Cameron was beginning to seriously become concerned. He ended up knocking on that friend's house and asking where Kaylee was but again this friend hadn't seen or heard from Kaylee since last night and neither had any of her other friends or family members. With nothing else he could think of doing Cameron then decided it was time to call the police to ask what he should do. Hello? Hi. Um I'm not sure if this is quite the right number to call. Last night I got home from the bars with my girlfriend and she got upset at me and ran off. Mm-hmm. And I chased her and wasn't able to find her and I still haven't heard from her. Her phone's off. I called all her family and they haven't heard from her so I'm wondering what you recommend I do. We can put in a call and we can uh, have officers and deputies uh, look for her. Okay. Where was she last seen at? Um, College Way. And it was last night. Yeah. At what time? Uh, it was like 1 o'clock in the morning. Okay. They got walking or something when you found her? Like, she was mad? Yeah, I walked. She was, yeah, she was mad at me, so I walked inside and told her to come meet me, and then when she's like, calm down. And then I went back out in 10 minutes, and she was gone. And I called her a few times, and she said she was walking down the street. And then I guess she said her phone was about to die, and then she, I couldn't get a hold of her after that. I haven't heard from her since. Around the same time as this was happening, Kaylee's mother had also reported her missing. Now, she was particularly worried because of Kaylee's medical conditions. 
Kaylee had had epilepsy for years and years and she managed it with uh, some medications that she had to take on a regular basis. The longer she was away from home meant the longer she was away from her medication and there was more chance of something bad happening and of course Kaylee's mum was incredibly worried about this. Other family members and friends raised the alarm bells too and quite quickly a search was launched to try and figure out where she might be. Even though Kaylee was known to remove herself from confrontation or from more heated conversations, she would never just up and leave and not let her family know. That was completely out of character. There was nowhere else that she would go to. If she wasn't with her family, she wasn't with her friends, and she wasn't with her boyfriend, and her car was still parked at her friend's house from the night before, there was just nowhere that anyone could think she might be. But one thing was for sure, this was completely out of character and highly suspicious. Everyone pulled together. Kaylee's mum and her husband drove around the local area. They were looking out for any sign of Kaylee or where she might be, but they didn't find anything. And eventually the investigating team who were in charge of looking for Kaylee told her mum and husband to just go home and they would reconvene with them in the morning. Unfortunately, the following morning came and there was still no sign of Kaylee. This was even more concerning because she was due to work that morning at the dental practice. Kaylee would never have missed work without calling in and with her being a no-show, it became blindingly obvious that Kaylee wasn't just gonna show up. Something bad had happened and they needed to find out what. The investigation was upgraded to list Kaylee as an endangered and vulnerable missing persons. Mostly this was because of her need for the medication. The investigating team managed to get hold of Kaylee's phone data through her iCloud and they tracked that across town. This seemed at odds with what her family and what Cameron had said though. They said that her phone was turned off or had died the night that she had gone missing. But for investigators to be able to get a signal, that meant that the phone must have been switched on. This didn't make much sense to both the investigating team and Kaylee's loved ones. But once they did manage to track the phone down, they soon realised that they'd been chasing an old iPhone that had previously belonged to Kaylee and no longer was her property. So that had been moving around and was actually nothing to do with Kaylee. The phone was still logged onto her iCloud, which is why officers thought that they were potentially tracing Kaylee's movements. They confirmed that the correct phone that Kaylee did own and was the one that she'd been using on the night she disappeared was still turned off or out of battery. And then on that same day, investigators got a break in the case when a newly qualified police officer who wasn't working on the case specifically came into the station and she told another one of her supervisors that she needed to talk to someone. Isabel Poncelera said that her husband, Edwin Lara, had been acting in what she thought was a suspicious way. He worked as a college security guard and so shifts could last anywhere from 8 to 12 hours and sometimes even longer. On the previous Sunday morning, so the same morning that Kaylee had gone missing, Edwin had been working from 3pm Saturday to 2am Sunday morning. During that time, Isabel and her husband Edwin had been talking via text and eventually Isabel had fallen asleep. And she woke up on the Sunday morning at around 7.30am 
And she looked to the side of her and saw that Edwin was next to her asleep. So he had obviously gotten in some hours before. That Sunday morning continued as usual with the couple getting up, getting ready for the day. And then they headed out to church at around 9am. But Isabel said that Edwin had been much quieter than usual to the point where she was actually concerned about just how withdrawn he was. After the church service ended, she asked Edwin what was going on, but he wouldn't say. And so the couple just continued on with their day, eventually heading home, watching some TV, and then heading out to the cinema to watch a horror film called Lights Out. After that, Isabel was likely hoping that Edwin would be back to his normal self, but The couple had been going through a sort of rough spot for some time. So although it was not nice for her, it wasn't too concerning that after the cinema, Edwin still seemed to be withdrawn and quiet. But then the very next day, Isabel came into the lounge to find that Edwin was crying. She sat down next to him, reached for the remote and shut off the TV and then asked him what was going on, what was wrong. And that's when Edwin turned to her and said that he had run over, in his words, a girl and that he had done this in his work vehicle. He's, quote, killed a girl. And then he just says that. He's like, I I kill a woman, that's what he said. I'm like, what do you mean? Then he's like, I hit her with the car. And did he tell you which car? He said the the security, the the job, the car that they use at the job. And what and what did you say to that? So I'm like, what do you mean? What? What? What do you mean you hit her? And he's like, yeah, I hit her, and I panic. And I'm like, what did? What do you mean by you hit her panicking? What did you do? Did Did he say I hit her in a panic? He said, I don't remember exactly the words that he said, but he said something that he hit her with the car yeah. and then he panicked. Okay. So then I asked him, like, that's what I was trying for him to explain to me. So you hit her with the car. That's an accident. Yeah. Why? What do you mean you panic? What, what do you mean? And what did he say? He just kept saying, I panic. And at that point, he's already, like, he got up and he's already, like, going into the room and walking back and forth and I'm not really quite understanding what he's telling me. Isabel went on to ask what he did afterwards and that's when he said that he had hidden the body and Isabel clarifies in this police interview that this didn't make sense to her and as much as she tried she just couldn't make any sense of what Edwin was saying but he kept repeating himself saying that he just accidentally ran over this girl and then panicked. And on top of this, he told Isabel that he'd taken some of this girl's belongings and hidden them in their garden shed. And when Isabel had gone out and checked, she found a bag full of things that she didn't recognise. But that interaction was the last Isabel saw of her husband. The next thing she knew, he was fleeing the house and he'd stolen her gun. The investigating team searched Isabel and Edwin's home and that included searching the outside shed. And when they searched that shed, they found the bag that Isabel had told them about. And inside was Kaylee's ID, it was her passport. 
some high-heeled shoes, a green handbag and a bloody rock. And it was clear to both Isabel and the officers searching the home that Edwin had lied about the events of that early Sunday morning. That was clear just from what was inside this bag. If he'd accidentally hit Kaylee with his car, why would there be a blood-stained rock in the shed? Why would he have taken her ID, her passport, and why would he now have fled the home? And of course, why would he have admitted to Isabel that he had hidden the body? There would be no point in this if it had just been an accident. During the search, investigators found a wall inside the home that was pasted with information on the railroad killer, Angel Rescindes. Back in the 1990s, Angel was suspected of having committed 23 murders. This included a 26-year-old school teacher who he bludgeoned to death with a pickaxe in her own apartment. That man, Angel, was given the nickname the Railroad Killer because he jumped on and off of trains in order to travel the country and get away quickly from his crimes. He was, at one point, one of the FBI's most wanted criminals. And he was eventually captured, he was arrested, and he was executed by lethal injection in 2006. It became clear to officers searching the premises that Edwin had done some kind of a project on Angel, and as a result, become slightly obsessed, to the point where he'd actually written about killing with a weapon of opportunity, that's what Angel did, and Angel used blunt force objects. Meanwhile, Across town, on what is now the 25th of July, 19-year-old Andrea had just finished a long shift at work and she was getting ready to get into her car, ready to drive home just after 8.30pm. Now, as she got into her car, she settled down in the driver's seat and her passenger window was slightly open. She saw a hand come in through the window, open the door and Edwin got inside He was wearing a bulletproof vest and he was pointing a gun at Andrea and then he demanded that she starts driving and she starts driving now. Just before that, Edwin had driven to his parents' house where he dropped off his car and then he just started wandering the streets. He'd seen Andrea across the street, he'd seen her get into her car and used that as his opportunity. Now, although he'd initially made Andrea drive, he began to become paranoid and worried because he thought she was driving too erratically and too fast. And so he made her pull over and got them to switch seats. But after he did this, he made sure to handcuff Andrea so that she couldn't escape. And then he started driving the car. The next three hours were Edwin pretty much talking at Andrea. He showed her pictures of him in his college campus security uniform and then he spoke to her about Kaylee Sawyer, asking if she'd heard the news about this missing girl. He then went on to tell her that it was him who had killed Kaylee and, of course, this bound her even more at his will. She was worried and completely terrified about what he might do. At 11.41pm, Edwin instructed Andrea to pull over to a nearby motel. And when they got out of the car, Edwin checked in and he stated to the receptionist that the woman with him was his girlfriend. He actually gestures towards Andrea as he says this. And then the pair went into the motel room and Edwin pulled out that pair of handcuffs and cuffed Andrea onto the bed. And then he placed a t-shirt over her head so that she was restricted from seeing anything. And that's when he went and showered. 
when he came back into the room, he told Andrea that it was her turn to shower. But Andrea, of course, didn't want to do this and she outright refused. Now, Edwin did seem to accept this and instead handcuffed her back to the bed. But there was no relief because just then Edwin began making sexual advances towards her. What neither of them realised at this time was that there was an alarm set on Andrea's phone and that alarm was just about to go off. So as he was making these sexual advances towards her, the phone alarm started sounding. Later on, Andrea would tell police that she used this as an opportunity to tell Edwin that that alarm was for her STI medication. She needed to remember to take it. She had a really bad STI and she convinced him that the STI was so bad that he wouldn't want to have sex with her. And Edwin believed her. And so he then went on to instruct that they should leave the motel immediately and get back in the car. At this point, it is just after 1am. And between 1am and 5am, the pair are driving. So they're driving for a total of four hours. And the only reason they stop is because Andrea's car began to feel a bit weird to drive. Now, what Andrea hadn't told Edwin was that her car was leaking oil. And it had been since way before the abduction. She knew that it was only a matter of time before they would have to pull over. They would break down. And when that happened, of course, Edwin panicked. It was around 5am when that happened. And as the car came to a halt... Edwin looked around, saw that an elderly man was... I've seen it reported in two different ways. Some reports say that the elderly man was in his car and other reports say that the man was in a hotel room. Either way, Edwin attempted to carjack this man, either by stealing his car keys from the room or by going up to him in his car. He used the gun to threaten this man and there was a struggle... And during that struggle that ensued, Edwin actually ended up shooting the man in the stomach and he went down. But in this panic, Edwin didn't actually steal the car and instead he ordered Andrea to follow him and they ran to a nearby petrol station. The man that he had left behind did suffer that gunshot wound to the stomach and he was rushed to hospital where emergency services did manage to stabilise him and thankfully he eventually recovered. Meanwhile, however, Edwin had his sights set on another elderly person. He'd seen a man get out of a car along with one of his grandchildren and they'd headed into that nearby petrol station. But inside the car, he'd left an elderly woman, who we later found out was his wife, and another two of their teenage grandsons. So they were all sat inside that vehicle. Edwin saw this, however, as an opportunity. And so he went to the car, got inside, along with Andrea, all the while threatening the grandmother and the two grandchildren with this gun. This time, he made one of the teenagers stay in the front driver's seat of that vehicle and drive at gunpoint before eventually forcing him to pull over and making everyone, except for Andrea, get out of the car. He then continued that journey with Andrea in the now new stolen car and this time he directed her to drive directly towards California. Partway through their drive, Edwin took this video of himself and then he got Andrea to post it onto her Facebook page. Everybody, um, I just want to say that I apologize for everything I've done. Most likely I'm going to get caught. 
and uh, sorry about that girl, about that girl in Central Oregon, and I just want to let family members, uh, Andrea, that she's fine, and she will be fine, because uh, so far she's been doing uh, what I've been calling her to do, you know, and, and if you guys are wondering, uh, if I have done dirty things to her, no. All right, I'm not that kind of guy. You know, I just... I used to kill that other girl, you know, and I regret it. I regret killing her. You know, she kept screaming, and I just her forever. So, you know, like I say, she's still fine driving and she'll be home pretty soon I'm sorry to her grandma and her family members to her boyfriend you know I'm sorry for everything that I caused okay and you'll see her pretty soon okay tell the cops that not to shoot us because if they shoot us then that's not my fault okay but Edwin told Andrea that she needed to post it to her personal Facebook page with the caption, Murderer on the Loose. Now, Andrea didn't want to do this. Again, it's reported for two different reasons. One reason being to not worry her family. And another was that she was embarrassed that this would be going out to her Facebook friends and old teachers and religious pastors. And so instead of posting it to her public page she clicked an option that meant it was posted to just me so only her account could see it as far as edwin was concerned she had posted it but as far as she was concerned it wasn't going to be public shortly after the video was sort of posted edwin called 911 and he said that he was going to turn himself in but he was clear that he wasn't going to hurt andrea and he didn't want to get hurt himself he also said during this call that he had asthma and so he didn't want the police officers chasing him to be rough with him. He's killed and raped a 23-year-old woman and he's abducted a 19-year-old woman and he doesn't want them to be rough with him. After that, he confirmed that he did have a gun on him but he wasn't going to use it and for now, he was going to keep driving and call his family to say goodbye but soon after this phone call, the uh, police start chasing him. This chase ensues. And because Edwin didn't want to just turn himself in just yet, he keeps driving. But the chase did eventually end with Edwin pulling over and surrendering. By the way, when Edwin was arrested, obviously he was with Andrea, who had been essentially held hostage for the last however many hours. But the arresting officers had not only arrested Edwin, they'd also arrested Andrea and brought her in for questioning. And as a result of this, she was held for a total of 12 hours before being released. Edwin went straight into a police interview. And at that time, he didn't ask for a lawyer and actually just started talking pretty much immediately. The exact details of what actually happened between Cameron leaving the car that night and Kaylee's murder aren't known for sure. But what we do know is that somehow Edwin managed to get Kaylee into his car. He was campus security. He was known for being safe. 
and his work car was issued to him, it resembled a sort of place of safety. In fact, other students were regularly given lifts or rides home after nights out by the security team on campus. And so it's highly likely that Edwin managed to get Kaylee to get into his car by offering her a ride home. We know that Edwin tried to rape Kaylee. We know that he then attacked her. He strangled her until she fell unconscious. And once she was unconscious, Edwin then drove onto an area that was a few miles away where he strangled her again and then used the rock to beat her over the head. After he'd done that, he then did rape her. And at this point, Kaylee was still alive. So he made the decision to drag her behind a tree and went on to hit her again with an even bigger rock. And then he just left her there where we unfortunately obviously know that she did pass away. After that, Edwin drove back to the college campus, changed cars, and then he drove back to attempt to hide Kaylee's body. And this time he wrapped her head in a plastic bag and then dumped her body where she would eventually be found. It wasn't long before the investigating team managed to locate Kaylee's body and her official cause of death was listed as blunt force trauma. Initially, the prosecution sought the death penalty but the case was made more complex by the fact that the crimes that Edwin had committed spanned two different states and the fact that there had been a number of things that had happened whilst he was in custody that made the case um, just more difficult to prosecute. Edwin had allegedly asked for a lawyer when he was transferred from one police department to another, but he wasn't given one. There was some confusion over whether him asking for a lawyer at that time was because he wanted one there and then or whether he was just generally inquiring. Either way, there is phone call evidence of him calling his wife from prison and talking about the fact that he wanted a lawyer and has requested one and wasn't given one. Here, trying to put my life back together. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Okay. So when when is your court? When are you having court? So right now I feel that like all my rights are being violated. Cause I don't, an attorney hasn't been appointed to me. Although you know they they read my rights when I got here. They're like. So I have no, no, Yeah, I keep asking for an attorney, and there is no attorney because. Okay, you know, so for me to be transferred to Oregon, and that's gonna take a while. Okay, I'm I'm doing what I could do for you. Just give me that freaking lawyer. That's what I need. Yes. Either way, there were really some um, oversights and incompetencies with the department's officers, especially because Edwin also wasn't given his phone calls, which are a requirement of one of the states in which he was arrested. So there are these two quite big things, and because of those things, it actually meant that at the pre-trial hearing. The judge threw out Edwin's confession, so the one we just saw, was not going to be admissible in court. Obviously, that's a huge blow to the prosecution. Thankfully, though, as part of one of the many searches that the investigating team did of Edwin's home and his outer shed, they did find some notes that were confirmed to be written by Edwin, and they were able to be used as evidence. 
One of those notes spoke specifically about the location of where Edwin killed Kaylee. And another said, quote, to her dad, I'm sorry. To her mum, I'm sorry. It was an accident. She screamed and I had to silence her. The evidence wouldn't actually be needed in trial though, because Edwin eventually changed his plea to guilty in order that he could get a plea deal where the death penalty would be off the table. Hayley's family, however, were furious to learn this. They wanted, most of them wanted the death penalty. And they also learned that Edwin wasn't going to be tried for sexual assault. The court wanted to get Edwin convicted and the murder charge was the most likely charge that was going to be the one to send him away for life. The sexual assault charge, therefore, could, in their words, complicate things. And so it was dropped. Edwin was found guilty and he was sentenced to life without parole. On top of this sentence, Edwin was also given a second life sentence, this time for the abduction of Andrea. Kaylee's family ended up filing a lawsuit against Orange Community College. They said that through the investigation into Edwin and his past behaviour, it was found that college employees were aware of his fascination with, quote, dead people. And they specifically pointed out the similarity between his work vehicle and police vehicles. The fact that he was on shift as campus security when this happened and wore his work uniform and his work vehicle for the very specific reason of keeping people safe, students specifically, that was all included in the lawsuit. After he arrived at work, he checked out a patrol vehicle, a white 2012 Ford Escape SUV with a fixed partition between the front and back seats. The partition had a clear plexiglass window at the top The window extends from the front seat backs to the ceiling of the car. The back doors of the vehicle only open from the outside. It was designed to hold and transport people who are in custody. The vehicle is referred to as a cage car. And the family eventually settled for $2 million. And Kaylee's family used some of that money to set up a book club that aims to help support early education programs in Kaylee's honour. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode of Red Rum. I appreciate you being here. If you like this kind of content, if you want to watch more of this kind of content, please do consider clicking the thumbs up button. Or if you're on Spotify or Apple, you can leave us a uh, review if or a, a star rating. Um, I also wanted to thank everyone who left a suggestion after my suggestion of a book last week. I really appreciate it. I have been writing them down. I've already read some of them as well. Um, I will, I'll maybe do like a list of my favourite books that I've read in recent history in the past year or so, um, especially thrillers because I've got lots of people suggesting them and wanting a few more as well. Um, and thriller fiction is really the kind of, books that I, I love. I really enjoy them. Um, the suggestion that I have for this week is Saltburn, the movie, the film. I watched it on a streaming service, so it, it's, uh, I don't think it's even at the cinemas anymore. It will be streaming for sure. Um, I really enjoyed it. It was brilliant. And uh, it's got an amazing cast. 
yeah, it's, it's just a really brilliant film, especially if you like thrillers and things like that. Highly recommend. And finally, I just wanted to say that I did a collaboration episode with a couple of other podcasters um, that was out on uh, Sunday night. It streamed live and it's available to download or watch uh, or listen to now. I will leave a link in the description box if you want to go and listen to that. It's a really interesting just discussion about lots of things true crime. You can get to know us all a little bit better. Other than that, thanks so much for joining and I'll see you next week for another episode of Red Fun. Bye.